Well, we are in week number three of the series, Family Treasures, and today we're talking about you giving the gift of grace to other people. If you have children, giving the gift of grace to your children. It's God's will that all of us become gracious. It's God's will that in a world where there's tribal, uh, different tribes and polarization and people um, angry at one another and throwing stones at one another and uh, where there's just so much rancor out there, it's God's will that you are a gracious person in your family and with other people, that you are compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient, that you bear with people, that you forgive people, and above all, that you put on love each day. So that's what we're talking today. That's what we're talking about today, giving the gift of grace. And if you're not familiar with the term grace, uh, we as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we talk about grace, we sing about grace, we teach about grace. And grace, again, is God's unmerited or unearned favor. It's God giving something that's desperately needed to those who don't deserve it. And the more that you can understand God's grace, and maybe you're here and you're, and you're like, yeah, I get it, I get the cross that Jesus died for me and, and has forgiven me, uh, but you don't understand maybe the greatness of his grace. When you understand the greatness of his grace, it changes everything in your life. It changes how you relate to God, but it also changes how you relate to other people. And if you parent, it changes how you parent. You parent from grace. We are called to grow in grace, to be strong in grace, to live in grace. And as we've been saying in this series, you first receive God's grace, and then you give it away. You receive first, and then you extend what you've been given to him to other people. There was a Christian author, and she shares how in her story, there came a point in her parenting as a mother that she hit rock bottom. She realized that things were not working in the home. What she was doing wasn't working, and she realized something needed to change. And so she took a step back from her home environment and began to ask herself questions. Why do I feel pressure to fix my kids? Why do I think it all depends on me, on how my kids turn out? Why do I carry stress around all day long, thinking I'm not enough or not doing enough? Why do I somehow always seem to struggle with guilt and with my failures and my mistakes? And she realized she was carrying all this around as a mom, as a parent, and she began to think. And what she finally realized was her parenting and the situation she was in was connected to a dysfunctional view of God. She misunderstood and didn't understand how God treated her. Because when you realize who God is, then you're able to function out of that correctly. And for her, she realized that she didn't understand the love of God. She always would beat herself up, I'm a failure. And then she began to realize, no, I fail but I'm not a failure. 
here's who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven of God, redeemed by God. I am chosen by God. I am loved by God. I am special to God. And she began to have the right view of God. He's a God of love. And this God of love expresses himself in what we call grace. I know for myself as a parent, God's grace has affected me. I've mentioned this before, two things, truths about God that have changed me more than anything, God's sovereignty and God's grace. And both of those things have affected how I parent and continue to parent. God's sovereignty. I realized that God is in control of everything in my life. Yes, I have uh, human uh, uh, free will and I have a responsibility to do this, but ultimately, God is in control of my life that we can plan our steps, but ultimately it's God who determines them. We can make our plans, but the final outcome is in his hands. And when you understand that the hairs on your head, that everything ha that happens to you, God's sovereign over, rules over, it allows you to parent without all the pressure on you, that you're not alone, there's God. And then secondly, when it comes to his grace, I learned and I, I embraced the reality of how much God loves me and has forgiven me, and that grace has helped me to parent my kids where I've been extending it to other people. So today we're talking about parenting with grace, giving the gift of grace to other people. And this mom uh, shares in her story that it took her two years of often at night putting her head on the pillow and woe is me and I'm no good as a mother, two years to replace all of those lies she believed and, and, and uh, for her to replace those lies with truth and start to see change in her life and in her family. Two years before she really parented in this realm of God's love and the correct understanding. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at two passages of scripture. We're going to look first at the greatness of God's grace because if you don't understand the greatness, his grace isn't really going to impact you that much. The more you understand of his grace, the more you're going to see your life change. And then secondly, we're going to talk about what that looks like in the home and then close with some hopeful ideas for imperfect families. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 5. This is our first passage beginning in verse 12. So Paul writes this. So if you're not yet a Christian or a new Christian, Romans is about doctrine. Here's what you believe, we're to believe, here's the truth, and then here's how we live it out. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, these words. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. If you're investigating the Christian faith, you may have this mistaken notion that's out in our culture that Christianity is about sin and being a bad person and not measuring up and uh, you're, just, you're just a terrible thing. That is not true. Scripture teaches that the God who has no beginning and no end created all things good, good, good. And when he created man, male and female, you and me, it was very good. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are amazing. That God created you to be in a relationship with him for all eternity. But when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. We call it living in a fallen world. And we're told in scripture that all creation is groaning, waiting for the day when Jesus will return, come a second time, and make all things new. That the restoration that he began 
with his death and resurrection will be consummated in the new age. Until that day, we have hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and mudslides and heat waves and famines and flooding because we live in a fallen world. When Adam's sin, sin entered into our world. So we look around and we say, yeah, the world's not as it should be. But when we look in the mirror, we realize too, if I'm honest with myself, I'm not the way that I should be. Look what Paul writes. He says, when Adam's sin, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Paul's using there the language of infection, which we in the last couple of years are more familiar with, the coronavirus and how it spreads, the different variants, and so we take rapid tests or PCR tests and we're like, do I have it or don't I have it? We're, we're familiar with the language of infection. Well, Paul says sin is a virus and it has spread to everyone. So today, you don't have to take a test and say, do, do I have the sin virus? You've got it. Look in the mirror. That's why you're getting more and more wrinkles. That's why your hair is turning gray. Or that's why your hair is receding. And have you noticed this, some of you? That your hair kind of migrates from your head to your ears. Have you seen that? Right? We're all getting older. And the wages of our sin, the result of our sin, is death. Well, let's close in prayer. <laughs> That's not the end of the story. We've all got the sin virus. Bad news. But here today, listen today to the good news. There is an antidote to the sin virus. Paul continues in verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. That's what the story, the bigger story, is all about. It's about Jesus coming to us because God is a gracious God and he gives out of his love, he gives us his grace, something we desperately need but we don't deserve. We're all sinners destined to die and death is not only physical death, it's spiritual death. We're all destined for an eternal separation from a holy God but this God's his gracious gift, he's offering to you and to me the gift of forgiveness. And notice there that this gift is greater than your sin. Friends, that's what we do at Woodside. We celebrate this grace. We sing about this grace. When we take away grace from God, what are we left with? Religion. Hey, this week, you go out and you make sure you do this and this and this, and if you don't, boy, God's going to get you. You better just measure up. That's not the God of Scripture, the true God. That's religion. And religion isn't strong enough to save you from your sin. Sin is greater than religion. Only Jesus is greater 
than sin. He is the antidote. And God wants to give us this gift of forgiveness, verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. Our sin brings about judgment, condemnation. God doesn't condemn us to, to a separation from us. Our sins do. We're in Adam. He's our representative. That leads to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to us being made right with God, even though we have sinned. Paul continues, verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But notice this again. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who will receive it will live in triumph over sin and death, through this one man, Jesus Christ. That those who receive God's grace, it's a saving grace, but it leads to a sanctifying grace. And we'll be talking more about that next week. But notice there, again, that God's grace is even greater than our sin. And we see this, if you're investigating the Christian faith, we're all about Jesus, and we see this in Jesus. He radiated grace in his teachings and in his life. It's who he is, full of grace and truth. That Jesus, because he is a God of grace, offers grace and forgiveness to everyone. So if you're uh, new to the Christian faith or investigating the Christian faith, we encourage you to get a Bible and begin to read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or all four of the Gospels. And in the Gospels, you will see Jesus again and again showing grace. John chapter 8. There's a woman caught in adultery. Adultery's a big deal. And the religious leaders who weren't gracious people bring this woman, they're pushing her along, bring Jesus' teaching in the temple courts and he's interrupted. They push her, put her before Jesus. And by the way, where was the guy, right? Just the woman. They bring her along. Can you imagine that her, her, her being embarrassed and the shame? And they're like, Jesus... The law of Moses said that we're to stone her. What do you say? And again, Jesus knew they wanted to trap him. And he said, after he bends down in the ground, writing something, he, he then stands up and he says to them, uh, to the one here who has never sinned, you can cast the first stone. And they knew they were sinners and they slowly walked away until Jesus was left with the woman and Jesus said, where, where are those that condemn you? And they're not here. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. That Jesus offers this woman his forgiveness and grace. We read in Luke chapter 5 of a tax collector called Levi. He, lived, he was working up in the area of Capernaum on a very busy road, collecting taxes for the Romans. He was Jewish. He was a traitor to his own people. To his own people, he was the scum of the earth. He was of no value whatsoever. And Jesus sees Levi and invites Levi, who we know as Matthew, to come follow him, offering grace to another person who didn't really deserve it. And then what takes the cake, at least in my eyes, is in Luke 23, 
Jesus is hanging on a cross between two criminals. And they're both mocking Jesus. Hey, if you're the Christ, come down and save yourself and save us while you're at it. But then on the cross, one of those criminals has a change of heart. God works in his life, and he realizes who Jesus is. And he says to Jesus, or he says to the other criminal, don't you fear God? We're getting the same sentence as, he, as this other one is. But we deserve what we're getting. He has done nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him, put your seatbelts on. Today, I tell you the truth. You'll be with me in paradise. And we throw up our hands and say, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. This guy, he repented. He was sorry for what he did. And now he gets to live with you forever in heaven, forever and ever in heaven. That's not just, that doesn't make sense. It's called grace. And as we read those stories, we think, hey, maybe with me, I'm not perfect. Maybe Jesus offers me his grace and forgiveness. And if you're wondering about that, struggling with that question, over and over again in Jesus' teachings, he says that's true. And in particular, the parable of the lost son. He tells the parable of a father with two sons, and the younger son says to the father one day, give me my inheritance, I want it now. So disrespectful. Takes the father's inheritance, takes the money, goes to a foreign country, and with wild living, he squanders it all. There's a famine that comes uh, in the country, and he finds himself hired out to a pig farmer, and he's feeding the pigs, and he's looking at their slop, and he's like, man, those pigs got something to eat, and I really don't. And it's there in the pig pen, he comes to his senses and he says, maybe if I go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no worthy to be called your son. Just maybe my, my father might give me a job as a servant and so I could have enough food to eat. And so he turns and he makes this trek back home. And while he is heading home, his father sees his son in a distance and runs. Dad, don't run. That's so, like, why are you running? Because the father is full of compassion for his son. And he hugs his son. He kisses his son. And his son begins with a speech. You know, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But then the father says, quick the servants. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill the fat calf. We're going to celebrate. Somebody put on some country music. Make sure there's a steel guitar playing. Put on the country. Didn't say that, but, but we're going to celebrate. And so they celebrate. And the younger, the older son, hears what's going on, comes and refuses to go in and says to the father, basically, what are you doing? Look at how he lived. He doesn't deserve this. Why are you celebrating? Why are you doing this for him? Because my son who is dead is alive. My son who was lost is now found. And Jesus teaches that to share God's heart for you. No matter what you've done, whether you're a thief on the cross, you're a woman caught in adultery, uh, you're a tax collector, no matter what you've done, his grace is greater, and he offers it to you. 
Verse 18, Paul continues, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness when he died on the cross and rose again, one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Notice that you're made right with God. You have the gift of forgiveness, the gift of, of righteousness. When God sees you, you're robed in Christ. He doesn't see your sins, and you have new life. And Paul, who was a, a, trying to be a really good person, trying to earn his way to God, which he could never do, meets Christ, receives Christ as a Savior and Lord, receives the gift of God's grace, and realizes he's a new person. And that's why over and over again, Paul is like a broken record talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the cross, God's grace. And please realize in your life as a recipient of God's grace, you never move on from God's grace, from the gospel, from the cross. It's not like, okay, Jesus gives me this free gift, and now I've got to work to make him like me. I've got to work to show him I'm worthy. No. Don't confine God's grace to salvation. Yes, there's his past grace. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins. Because God is such a good God, you don't deserve his forgiveness. You desperately need it. But because he's a God of grace, he gives it to you. Past grace. And then there's also future grace. Ephesians chapter 2, that we as recipients of God's forgiveness, we are going to experience the incomparable riches of God's grace forever and ever. There's the day coming when you're just going to be one grace gift after another. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. There's future grace. But there's also present grace. That as you journey through life, God in your relationship with you, wants to continue to pour out his favor on you. His grace is not just about anything you've done, but it's also about anything you go through. The promise to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 is a promise to you and me that God's grace is sufficient when we go through life. Every day, you're never lacking with God. His grace, his goodness is sufficient. And when you're weak, that's when his power is made strong. Don't miss that. Every day, lean into God's goodness and favor to you. I'm at the end of my rope as a parent. I don't know what to do. I, we're all familiar, if you're a parent, with a parent's prayer, right? It's called, or it's entitled, Help. Help. Help me with this, I don't know what to do. Help me with that, I don't know what to say. Help me, help me, help me. When you come to the end of yourself, turn to God. His grace is sufficient. When you've blown it, turn to God. We think when we do something, we fail, we mess up, we start condemning ourselves and like, I'm just like no good as a parent and I'm this and I'm that. At that moment when we're condemning ourselves. Jesus is doing the exact opposite. He's looking at you with compassion eyes, gracious eyes, and he's saying, even in the midst of your failure, the midst of your sin, even in the midst of the times you've blown it, 
I still love you. This is an opportunity for you to grow and learn. Lean into me and my grace. I want to continue to change you. Continue to learn. That is so important to hold those two truths in tension. My failures, my sins, and God's abounding grace. Grace that's greater than anything we face or anything we have done. So Paul says, God's grace is greater. And you will see that as he writes over and over again about God's grace. Because you're a recipient of God's grace, now extend it to people. Let it flow through you to other people. One example of this is Colossians 3, and we read these words in, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes this to the church at Colossae. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I'm writing to you that are in the family of God, that are chosen of God. I'm writing to you that are holy, set apart for God. I'm writing to you that are dearly loved. I'm writing to you who are recipients of this grace that we don't deserve. Here's how you're to live. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Each day, as you're reminding yourself of the greatness of God's grace and his favor to you, each day as you do that, make the decision, clothe yourselves, put on Jesus. Put on the traits of Jesus. How did Jesus treat you? That's the way you treat your kids and others. Jesus is compassionate to you, even when you don't deserve it. Jesus is kind to you and humble. Jesus is gentle with you. Jesus is patient with you, even at times when you don't deserve it. And as parents, what we do is we, we daily remind ourselves of, man, I can't believe it. All my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I don't deserve it. I have a relationship with the living God. As I do that, I create an atmosphere of grace in my home. Because if you're a parent, your kids are not always going to deserve your compassion, your kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Any other parent want to say, yeah, okay, right? Your spouse, not always going to deserve it. But even though they don't deserve it, Jesus, I'm going to show it and do it. Grace deactivates so many vices in our lives. For example, grace deactivates pride. You cannot grasp and embrace what Jesus did for you on the cross and then go around as a proud person. Grace humbles you where you're like, wow. That in your home and as you meet with people, you're humble. You're not looking down at your kids. You're not looking down at people. You know, right now it's cold and we have this cold spell. And it's sometimes easy to look at homeless people and look down. Well, you know, wh why are you homeless? And you're critical or you find fault and you're judgmental. But often is the case, many people struggling with grief and trauma in their life and not really knowing how to deal with it they find themselves harming themselves, self-harm. They find themselves with substance abuse. And you realize that the most important thing they need is God, but you realize, but for the grace of God, there go I. You don't go through life proud. You're humble. 
And God's grace deactivates selfishness, where you're not just thinking about yourself and you're sacrificing. It deactivates harshness, where you find yourself gentle. I've shared this before. I didn't think I was harsh in the home. I didn't yell or scream, but my tone changed. And I had to learn to be gentle because Jesus is gentle with me. I had to learn, as some people say, I had to learn to be a firefighter, right? A firefighter, uh, he or she doesn't rush into a burning building, just boom. They walk briskly. They analyze the situation. What are we to do? As a parent, it is so easy just to rush in. Somebody's hitting somebody. You just explode. And you learn to keep your emotions in check. And it takes a while. But you can do it. Grace deactivates harshness. Grace deactivates so many vices. Paul goes on to say, clothe yourselves also with this, verses 13 and 14. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Grace leads to you giving space to other people that are different from you. It means that you're giving space to your children. Now, as they grow up, you're, you're going through the stages, but in time, you want to give them more space. As a parent, if it's not a moral issue and your child is a little bit quirky or a little bit goofy or a little bit um, weird... You're giving space for that. You're not coming down, making it a moral issue. You need to stop being goofy. Or if your child, as they grow up, they wear their hair too long or they wear their hair too short, you're not coming down, making it a moral issue. You're giving space. God, I'm not in control. You are. Grace leads to space. Grace also leads to being quick to forgive. When you have two people that are recipients of God's grace and they realize daily how much God has forgiven them, then they're quicker to forgive one another. In your home, in all of our homes, there's always going to be conflict. It's inevitable. We're different. But it's how we respond to that conflict that we are showing grace to one another, being quick to forgive. Ruth Bell Graham, married to Billy Graham, said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. In your home, when you blow it, if you're aware of God's grace in your life, you are saying, will you forgive me? I'm sorry when you blow it. And then Paul says, bear with each other, forgive each other as God's forgiven you in Christ. And then he says, and make sure you put on each day love. And here's the point we need to, again, at one point we need to understand today is that, that if you want to love like Jesus, you can't limit your love to people who deserve it. That person doesn't deserve my forgiveness, but Lord, I'm going to forgive them. And by the way, again, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. It doesn't mean that if someone's abusive, a spouse or one of your kids is harming, it doesn't mean that you just, okay, I'll just forgive and reconcile. No, there's, there's space for that. But what it does mean is that the I owe you, that they owe you, right, if they ask for forgiveness, you grant that, but even if they don't, there's no remorse. You still say, God, I can't carry this around with me because you're not carrying any IOUs that I've done. 
And so God, I'm giving it to you. And you may not feel like it, but you're giving it, even though that person doesn't deserve it. The extent to which we give grace reveals the extent to which we have received grace. If you're struggling in your home with your kids, don't start with your relationship with them. Start with your relationship with God. God, I want to have the right view of you. Oh God, you're a God of grace. God, I'm stuck in my anger. I'm stuck in my self-loathing. I'm stuck in my failures. I'm exhausted, God. Help me, the God of grace. Here's some hopeful ideas for imperfect families. I'd like to just share five this morning. Number one, pay attention to your daily narrative, whether you're a parent, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whether you're aunt, uncle, you're single. We're all connected to families. What are you saying to yourself each day? Take maybe a step back from your family and say, what am I thinking each day? I'm a failure. God really doesn't like me now. I gotta show him that I'm a good person. You're just, what's your narrative? You're recognizing lies and you're beginning to replace it with the truth. Number two, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself again and again that I've got the most important thing in life. I've got God, a relationship with him for all eternity. I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. But because he's a God of grace, he's forgiven me. Oh, God, help me to now extend your grace to people who don't deserve it. Again and again, we're reminding ourselves of God's goodness. Number three, choose to extend grace. You've got to make a choice. Am I going to close myself with compassion, kindness, with those traits of Jesus that he shows me? And eat, here's the point that you need to understand, that you choose to do it even if you don't feel like it, even if the other person isn't worthy of it. Did you know my wife has forgiven me time and time again when I don't deserve it? And there was one time when she didn't deserve it and I forgave her, right? But when you start to do it, even though the other person you think doesn't deserve it, God can begin to work in relationships, but in your relationship with him. Number four, enforce discipline. Being a gracious person doesn't mean that your kids get to run wild. You do not want to be a permissive parent, and you don't want to be an authoritative parent. You want to be a gracious person. You want the atmosphere of grace in your home. So, so grace means, uh, discipline is a form of grace. Love is not lenient. Just go do whatever you want. No, your kids need to learn how to follow rules. Your kids need to learn how to respond to authorities. Your kids need to learn self-discipline. They need boundaries. When they are untruthful, when they talk back, when they hit their brother or sister, you need, there needs to be discipline. Did you know in your relationship with God, he disciplines you because he loves you? Hebrews chapter 12. Now, every time something bad happens to you, you don't go, oh, what did I do wrong? Because a lot of bad things happen to us simply because we're living in a fallen world. But sometimes there's a direct correlation. God's trying to teach me something. Okay, God. Help me. God disciplines us. He works in our lives, not because he's upset with us, 
but for our own good. And similarly, as a parent, I want to have high standards in my home. Hey, we're not using profanity. Okay, I know other kids are, but not in our home. We're following Jesus. Or I know they're doing this, but we're doing, you can have high standards. But it's all in an atmosphere of grace. Oh, God, I don't deserve your goodness to me. Help me extend it to others. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We're familiar with that statement. But also, are you aware that relationship without rules leads to resentment? Our kids need structure. They need some sort of rules. What are the boundaries? And then you enforce that with an atmosphere of grace. And by the way, if you're like, what does that look like? I'm just at my wit's end. Well, you turn to God, but you also need to reach out to other Christians. I know for Lisa and myself, we raised our three kids here at Woodside, and we are so grateful. In our home, we wanted a, a, a home of grace, but we had a church of grace that came alongside of us, and we had people speak in to the lives of our three children. We had Sunday school teachers. We had leaders at kids' club. We had leaders at kids' camp. We had junior youth leaders, senior youth leaders. We had counselors at Conestoga Bible Camp. We had so many other people. And I want to tell you, if you're new to this church, there are people here who are full of truth. We're standing for the word of God and for God, but we're full of grace. And you can reach out, and we want to help you so you're not parenting alone as you seek to enforce discipline and raise your kids so they're healthy. And then number five, pray. It's interesting. When Lisa and I were first learning to be parents, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of people here at Woodside, and I can tell you there were two words to this day that I heard again and again. One was the word prayer. Oh, kids have a way of keeping you on your knees. No kidding. Right? You're just, even when your kids are older, right, you're still praying for them, right? Like, prayer. But the other word, and it's connected to prayer, was the word grace. These parents that were a little further down the road from us, you know, we blew it here. We weren't, you know, did this and this. But God's grace. Oh, God's grace. Pray, pray, pray. Lean in to God. Maybe you're here today or watching online and you would confess, hey, I have not been a good dad or a good mom. I have a damaged relationship with one of my children or all of my children. I want to speak to you, mom or dad, about God's grace that is greater than your sin, your failures, and your weaknesses, and the times you blew it and you messed up. Whether you were a permissive parent or, or an authoritarian. What do I do? I come to God, I get on my knees, and I ask him to point out the different ways I've failed my kids. Maybe you want to get a piece of paper and a pencil and you're just writing them down. Or online and you're on your computer and you're just, you, this is all I've done wrong. And you confess it to God and you ask God to forgive you of everything on your list. And then you embrace his forgiveness. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of all of these things. And you believe that he truly forgives you. It doesn't make sense, but he forgives me. And you take that piece of paper and you throw it out. Or you take your file and you delete it. 
I am forgiven. I am not going to be reluctant to receive God's grace. I'm not going to continue to beat myself up for the next number of days ahead. But I am going to begin to live as a recipient of God's grace. And so you get then up off your knees and in time at the right place in the right way, you go to your child or to your children or maybe they're adults by now. And you ask if you could talk to them and you say, you know, when you were growing up, I, I failed here. I didn't do this. I didn't. And by the way, grace, again, deactivates pride. I blew this. I didn't do this. Will you forgive me? And maybe, just maybe, you doing that with a heart of humility, not because you want to try to get your kid back, but more importantly, because you want to do what God wants you to do. God, change me. Maybe, just maybe, that might be the turning point in your relationship with your child. Maybe that might be the difference between having a strained relationship for the rest of your life or a close relationship. Now, you can't child change your child, but you can let God change you and in humility go and try to make things right. If you're a parent who's failed, do not stay there in this place beating yourself up. Live over here. God, I'm a recipient of your grace. Work in my family. Secondly, if you are here and you're a parent right now that's struggling with your kids and you feel so much stress and you're so guilty and you just feel like nothing you do seems to go right, take a step back. What's your narrative? Replace it with the truth. God, help me. And maybe God will put it on you to reach out to this person or to go here to do something. God, would you? I'm praying for some breakthrough. Help me. And you begin to parent from God's grace. And then maybe you're here today, and whether you're a parent or not, you've never received the wonderful grace of Jesus. You've never received the gift of forgiveness and the gift of righteousness. Today, Jesus, 2,000 years later, who is alive and well and coming again, offers you his grace and forgiveness. Today, be reminded that you are going to die, you're getting older. You've got the sin virus, we all have it, but there's something greater than sin and death, and it's the grace of Jesus. And that's why at Woodside, we will continue to teach about it, sing about it, and live in it. Today, you can have salvation forgiven of all your sins. And if you're not yet ready, would you go to Alpha? Would you reach out to someone in the church to talk more? Would you begin reading your Bible, starting with the Gospel of John, perhaps? Would you continue to seek Jesus?